All right, blessings to all of you. So good to be able to share this time together. Our series is abound. It's been something that we've been sitting with as we opened up this year, 2022. And now as we make our way into the second month of the of this year, wow, <laughs> the year that none of us could have predicted opening the way that it did. And I know that a lot for a lot of us, it's still a little bit challenging, though we all retain hope. But my prayer has been for us, for our church, for you, my friend, my brother, my sister, near or far, wherever you are, some of you close by here in San Francisco, others of you in other parts of the state, even in other parts of the country, some cases, other parts of the world. I'm just happy you're with us right now. Some of you, maybe this is the first time you've ever had a chance to connect with us. I'm Pastor Terry. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. Since the year's opening, as I mentioned, we've been talking about how it's God's desire for us to just grow in his love. Our key verse has been Philippians 1, verse 9, when Paul says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And we've just been trying to embrace the promise of that word, that we would grow in our capacity to love God, that we would grow in our capacity to love one another in Christian community, that we would grow in our capacity to love ourselves better, right? In a healthy way, not a self-consumed, selfish way, but in a way that allows God's grace to work in our lives so that we can get healed. And, you know, we can't, it's really hard to love other people well when we don't have a good sense of how much we are loved by God and we, we learn how to grow in a, in a self-love that is humble and, and, and confident, that's not, you know, like I said, proud or arrogant or in, just somehow, you know, moving out of pain, but more whole and healed. So it's good to be able to love ourselves well. How do, you, how do you love others as you would love yourself? If you don't know how to love yourself well, we won't be able to love others well. And God wants us to be able to do that. I mean, he really cares about how we love in our relationships, certainly. But I just want to sit with this word. I, I want to talk about two key principles. I'm calling them two key life tracks. You'll see why in a moment. And they're connected to something that the Apostle Paul wrote in this first chapter of Philippians. I already quoted that ninth verse, how the apostle said, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, right? With all, with knowledge and all discernment. And then he goes on to say this in verse 10, and I'm just going to read this passage right now. He says, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You would be filled with the fruit of righteousness, what is right, that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. You know, I want you to know brothers, all of you, he, he would include the sisters in that as well, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, the apostle says, and to all the rest that my imprisonment is actually for Christ, that God is using it for good. And most of all, my brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, <laughs> most of you are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now it's true. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to actually make me feel worse, to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Ah, basically what he's reminding himself of is, whether he's got people criticizing him or others who are supporting him, 
He's just going to focus on the right things. And he says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, uh, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. And we talked about this in the last week. And, and just really, it's been kind of a, a modest little subtext here as well since we began sitting with this amazing chapter and just trying to draw wisdom from it as we make our way into the new year. But we talked about, and you know this, we talked about the choice to rejoice. The choice to rejoice. And it's not a, well, it's not a, I feel, but a, I will. I want to say that one more time. The choice to rejoice is not meant to be an I feel, but an I will. And there's a difference. Here's why. <laughs> if we rejoice only when we feel it, well, we will be limited to rejoicing only when things are going our way. And that's a cap. I mean, that's a, that's a low ceiling. Like to rejoice only when things are going the way that we hope them to be, would, that they would go, or just maybe even, you know, close to it. <laughs> maybe some people say, oh, I'll rejoice. Yeah, it's, it's, it's close enough. But that is to really, I mean, if we go by our feelings, we limit so much of what God can do and how God can use us and grow us and work through us, right? And, and there's a difference, right? <laughs> there really is. Because if I rejoice when I feel it, only when I feel it, I cap what God can do in my life. But if I rejoice because I will it, regardless of the circumstances or how I feel about them, well, that's an unlimited opportunity, isn't it? I mean, the sky is the limit. It's not about whether we feel it. It's about whether we will it. Joy is a choice. It's a response. It's based on a sense of who God is and his living presence working in our lives. Look what Paul says. He says this, he goes on in verse 19. He says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. That is a very important distinctive here. The idea that we are being helped by the spirit of Jesus. Here's the thing. When I rejoice, it creates an environment for the spirit of Jesus to move within me. So God responds out of my choice to welcome him in joyfully to my situation. But here's what happens. When I do that, he comes in and my joy capacity grows. So it almost as if one follows the other and it's not always clear which one starts it off, whether it's my choice or my welcoming in his joy. <laughs> you know, the choice sometimes is just say, Lord, fill me with your joy or the choice to say, Lord, I will rejoice because I have you in my life and I know I am loved and I know you are good and I know you will help me in every situation I find myself in. So I choose to rejoice. And when I do that, more of Christ is at work in me and then it, it actually creates even a higher potential for the joy to flow through me. But it really does start with us making a decision. Even, even if that decision is simply, Lord Jesus, help me and fill me, Spirit of Christ, Spirit of Jesus, with more of your joy. Help me to rejoice because there's a big part of me that doesn't want to. And, and yet I choose to. And as I choose to exercise by faith, 
anchored in your love, again, that your love may abound more and more, then that joy begins to just flow like a gift through us and around us. And well, look what Paul says. He says in this verse again, I just want to go back to it, that 19th verse, for I know through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. I mean, that's also a faith declaration. So the apostle is not only, you know, reminding himself to be filled with joy and to choose joy and to choose gratitude, but he's also making a declaration of what God can do. And he's really declaring his hope for deliverance. And then he says in verse 20, look at this, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not, I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. I mean, look at this. This is a prayer. I don't, this is not an easy prayer. I mean, he, he just says it and prays it and confesses his heart around it, but this is actually, to me, a far more challenging prayer than it seems. He says, Lord Jesus, this is my intention, my desire. Uh, I want all of you to know what he's saying. To, I want to bring him honor. I want to bring Jesus honor in my life <laughs> or in my death. You know, and the word we render expectation when he says it is my eager expectation, the word that is rendered expectation is not actually a common Greek word. It signifies an intense focused gaze. Like he has his eyes on the prize. It's about how he wants to show up for Jesus. He's saying, I don't want to cower. I don't want to be ashamed, but with full courage, I want to face whatever awaits me. I mean, I find that inspiring. I don't want to, I don't want to in any way miss my moment to give glory and honor to Jesus, whether in my life or in my death, Paul says, I just want, I want to show up when the time is, is right there where I've got to make a call. I want to show up. I want to be where, where he wants me to be. And I want to be the man he wants me to be. Some of us can say that we just, we want to be the woman he's called us to be. We want to show up. We want to show him our love. And in Paul's case, he's just saying, look, I'm, I don't want, I don't want fear to grip me. And I don't want to ever cower back in my faith. And if that moment comes when I have to step up, I pray that God, I know I will, but by faith in Christ, I will stand for him, right? <laughs> As one writer, Ellicott, put it, he says, uh, I just remember this. He said, because I, I found it so intense and humbling. He said, it was as if the apostle Paul was saying, my body will be the theater in which Christ's glory is displayed. Think about that. My body will be the theater in which Christ's glory is displayed. Wow. And then one of the great verses of the New Testament for the apostle declares for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. <laughs> if I live, he says, because remember, it wasn't clear if he was he was going to get out of his imprisonment. He wasn't sure if he was going to end up dying. You know, people were being killed if they were viewed as a threat to the Roman Empire. And he didn't know. He didn't know if this was it, if it was his time to leave this world. And he said, for if I live, I live for him. <laughs> it's like, and if I die, I go to him. 
It, it's like he was, I will only, it will only mean being nearer to the living Jesus, the one I first met, the one I used to despise, the one I didn't believe in, but the one I met on the road to Damascus and the one that changed my life, the one who said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's so hard to kick against the pricks, the thorns. Don't you know? Stop fighting me. Right? It was the pursuing love of Christ at work in his life. And then that confrontation with Jesus on the road, you can read about it in the book of Acts, that, that crushed his sense of self-confidence. And literally, he was literally blind. You think about the great hymn, Amazing Grace. You know, I once was blind, but now I see. I mean, that, that was Paul's song, literally. And that's why his word was grace. I mean, he loved grace. The idea of God's undeserved favor and love given to him. And that's, he never forgot it. So for him, it was just a question about when he would be reunited with the Jesus he had come to love and serve and made a decision to give his life for. So, so for one, so the idea, the prospect of dying for him uh, was not something that he was afraid of. So when he says for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, he was basically saying is either way, I have a win-win. And this is a win-win for me, basically. Either outcome is a win. And then, and then he pushes it even more. And we're welcomed into his thoughts, aren't we? Look what he says. He says, if, if I am to live in the flesh, you know, that means fruitful labor for me. And I can just see him, you know. Yet which I shall choose, uh, I shall choose, I cannot tell. Yeah, it's almost as if he's saying, you know, if I, if I had my choice, hmm, <laughs> I'm not sure which one I would choose. Right? I'm going, wow. Are you saying, you know, on the one hand, I mean, I hear him, he's weighing it out in these words. He says, yeah, if, I, if I'm really being honest about it, I'm not sure if I had my way, if I would rather stay or go. Whoa. <laughs> it's like, you know, and then he says, you know, it's, it, there's so much good yet to be done. And yet... The idea of leaving behind so much of, of what makes life unkind, the pain and the hurt and the suffering, but even more, the potential joy of the expansive love of God being experienced at a dimension that the apostle had been given a glimpse of. So for him, it was even a little bit less than you and me in the sense that we... He got exposed to the glory of the living Jesus. He says, I literally, I saw Christ. I saw the living Christ. And it was, the thing about it, it was, it was the last thing he saw before he had that bout of blindness. He sees that he's blinded by the light of Christ. And so for him, the idea of warmth and, and the love of God and the forgiveness of the Lord and the light of glory, these are things that he's had a taste of. And then he, we also know that he had other experiences in Christ, some dreams that he had and visions that he talked about where he was convinced that heaven was even more than real. It was, it was so full of joy and life and glory that uh, this life could not be compared to it. So, I mean, for him, he's really weighing out, you know, I'm not sure if I had a choice. Look what he says, verse 23. He says, I'm hard pressed between the two. I mean, if I'm being honest with you, my, my desire is to depart actually and to be with Christ for that is far better, but 
to remain in the flesh or to be alive still is more necessary on your account. So it's almost like he's saying the truth is I'm term, ter- torn, <laughs> right? Perhaps a few of us can relate. Not everyone I know. Actually, I don't think I can quite relate to this. I don't because I, I don't, I don't, I don't really feel um, the, the, the yearning. I, like, I still want to be here. Yes, <laughs> I, I do. I do. I do. I just being honest. I, I, I know that there's a part of what is ahead that is going to be so beautiful. And I do look forward to the day of life overflowing and I look forward to a, a new body and I look forward to, um, sacred reunion and love without end and creativity at levels I've never known. And, uh, just so many of the things that we only see very much uh, in part, but someday we will see with great clarity, all the limitations we face in our broken condition in humanity, even as we aspire for more, those longings will be fulfilled on that day. So there's a part of me that goes, wow, that's, that's amazing. But this is the only world I've known and sort of like the baby in the womb. That's what I see this life as being. It's the safe place. It's the safe place. And that's, and I love, I love people. I love you. I love, I love the special people in my life. I love my, my family. I love my friends. Uh, I love life. I do on this side. But I'm sure there'll come a point and some of us are getting close to it where, you know, there's enough things that are hurtful and disappointing and, and painful and not working as well as they used to that the closer we get, the more we look forward to renewal, right? It's almost like the seasons themselves. When you hit the winter season, there's a part of that that's, that's longing for renewal. It's longing for a new beginning. It's longing for spring. It's longing for Genesis. It's longing for the touch of the very life of God in Christ. Well, the apostle Paul says, look, I, you know, I'm, I, I am, I'm just being honest with you. I'm torn. I, 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 part of me would rather go and be done with it. Like I'm, I'm tired of living in this world. I look forward to being, I mean, that's what he's saying. And I look forward to being reunited with Christ. I mean, he had suffered a lot. <laughs> Even now he was in confinement, but then he said, but for the sake of you, my friends, <laughs> for the sake of you, my friends, actually, I think it's best that I stay to encourage and strengthen you and others in the faith. And one of the things I'm struck by is his, again, and I've been alluding to this, is his his yearning for home. It's so authentic. There's no even remote doubt. There's no struggle of, of trying to amp his faith up. It's just complete assurance about what is ahead. And I was reminded of something that I remember C.S. Lewis writing when he said, there are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind. There are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind. So when Paul says, you know, part of me wants to depart, you know, the idea of depart in the original Greek, it carried with it a sense of uh, striking camp and, and loosening the tent peg. Some of us you know, we can kind of see, sense that, right? And so it would be as if you were leaving the place you were and embarking on a new journey and you, you were bringing the tent down and you were loosening the tent pegs and you were rolling things up and you were getting ready. It was also actually a word that was used for loosening the mooring ropes, pulling up the anchors and setting sail. So in each case, this idea of depart had to do with something that they were very familiar with in their, in their world, in their culture. In their experiences, whether it was departing by loosening the, the ropes 
and the, on the, and the tent pegs or loosening the mooring ropes so you could bring the anchor up and set the sails. I mean, it, it, it really does give us a, uh, an idea of how he was seeing this. And, um, you know, part of him seemed to be just fascinated by the journey into the next life and dimension and because he was already assured of the destination. So he could yearn for the dimension because he was already sure in his mind of the destination. But he said, if I stay, it's, it's better for you. And so he says, so I think God will keep me here a little longer. Verse 25, look, convinced of this. Hmm. Now I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. And these are two words. I truly believe we are being invited to abound in, in this next season. Look at these two words. He says, for your progress and joy in the faith. The idea of abounding, flourishing in your progress and your joy in the faith. It reminds me of the two tracks. So just think of it as two tracks, maybe two railroad tracks, right? Two tracks that we are to travel down in 22. What are they? I call one of them a growth track and the other a joy track, a growth track and a joy track. This is the place. This is the way that God wants us to travel, right? That's for the growth track. You know, this track is to be our way all through life. Speaking of staying on the growth track, I was, oh, I was reading something written by um, a man. Some of you may recognize if you're baseball fans. Uh, his name is Faye Vincent. He, he uh, was, uh, well, he served as the commissioner of Major League Baseball from 1989 to 92. So it was just for a short duration, but he, he is a believer in Jesus, uh, more from the Catholic stream, but he was reflecting. I, I read an, I read something he wrote. It was a little op-ed that he wrote after his recent diagnosis with leukemia. And he had that diagnosis at the age of 81. And, and he's now around 83, I think. And, uh, but there was something in the small article he wrote that touched me and actually inspired me because I was thinking about that growth track, right? That, that God's wanting all of us to stay on as we make our way into 2022 so that we can abound in our faith and in our love more and more, right? And, and this is what Vincent wrote. He, he wrote this. I understand that dying begins at birth, but I'm 81 and fortunate to have been afforded longevity. I can have no regrets. My diagnosis means that the game of life is turning serious and the late innings loom. He's using that baseball metaphor. Perhaps my leukemia will turn out to be the good type that is slow moving and not as virulent as some forms of blood cancer. Perhaps not. You know, my challenge is to seize what time I have left. Dying is still a part of living. And the way one lives is vital, even in the dying light. As I try to live while confronting an incurable illness, I remember how much I enjoyed the youthful process of learning. Thus, I, I now read and learn from every book possible. I remember one of Blaise Pascal's Penzies. That's a classic in literature. In my own translation, 
he wrote these words, man is but a reed, the weakest in nature, a puff of grass, a drop of water is sufficient to kill him. But the difference between him and what kills him is that he knows he is dying. Vincent says, it is my brain that still defines me. When I am thinking, I am living. I must fuel the brain by reading. And I, I found myself enthralled with these words. They spoke to me because he, this man in his twilight years is still contending for a joyful growth, even as a man, like I said, in his 80s, in the dying light. And his commitment to growth and reading and cultivating his mind, it really did. It, it moved me to want to pursue the growing edge and not to get complacent in my faith to read good things and to stay in God's word and to enjoy good writing and good devotionals and, uh, you know, just to keep learning and growing and expanding. Don't stop. Don't stop growing. You know, we honor God with our minds as well as with our hearts and with our words and actions, we do. And in fact, so many of those things are connected to what we fill our mind with. If we fill our mind with junk food, we're going to get, you know, junk coming out of us. And if we fill our mind with life, nutritious things, uh, we will find life and nutritious things flowing out of us that will bless and strengthen other people as well. You know, let us not simply only live for giving attention to our body which no matter how much we care for, will someday not be able to sustain the life that is within it. But let us also, as Jesus taught us more so even, give attention to the spirit and the things that are everlasting. For the things we are told in the scriptures that are seen, they are temporal, but the things that are not seen, they are eternal. God has reminded us there's so much more. But in the meantime, between the now and the then of life, I want all of us to grow and to flourish and to become more and more of what he wants us to be. And that thing, that to me means I don't stop growing. I don't stop contending. In fact, being part of a church means that we're being part of a growing community, not just in terms of the size of our numbers, but it actually in terms of the ethic that propels us into life, that we never want to stop growing and becoming more of what he wants us to be, a better version of who we were created in Christ Jesus to be. That he who has begun a good work in us would complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So there it is, the idea of having a growth track. Remember I said there are two tracks for 2022. Two tracks for 2022. A growth track and a joy track. That's what Paul was talking about, right? He says that you would progress and that your joy and your faith would expand, right? And I remember something Max Lucado, he's just a you know, wonderful Christian writer, he wrote this. He said, just, you can see it with me. He says, I choose joy. I will invite my God to be the God of circumstance. There it is. I will refuse the temptation to be cynical. Boy, how easy is it to become cynical and suspicious and dominated by everything that's not going well. He says, the tool of a lazy thinker. Whoa, wow. Cynicism is the tool of a lazy thinker. Ooh. He says, I will refuse to see people as anything less than human beings created by God. I will refuse to see any problem as anything less than an opportunity to see God. And that in turn reminded me of something I remember Mother Teresa writing, or at least it was recorded. <laughs> and she said this about joy. She said, joy is prayer. Joy is strength. Joy is love. Joy is a net of love by which you can catch souls. 
God loves a cheerful giver. Whew. God loves a cheerful giver. She gives most who gives with joy. Come on now. The best way to show our gratitude to God and the people, you know, that God's placed into our life is to accept everything with joy. A joyful heart is the inevitable result of a heart burning with love. Never let anything so fill you with sorrow as to make you forget the joy of the Christ risen. Wow. We are to choose joy. A joyful heart is the inevitable result of a heart that's burning with love. Go back to Philippians 1, 9. I my pray for you that you would abound in love more and more right? That you would abound in love more and more, that your love would abound more and more. That Think about that and never let anything fill you with sorrow as to make you forget the joy of the Christ who is risen and who lives with you. Think about it. What, what she was really saying there is so profound, is so simple and so hard because it's almost like saying no matter how heavy something is, how, how difficult something is, right? That when we weigh it against the love of Christ, when we weigh it against the joy of the risen Christ at work in our lives and all that is connected to that, what she was saying is that nothing, not even the worst sorrow in life can take away, is heavier, has more meaning, more weight, the weight of glory than Jesus at work in us. Wow. Think about that. Think about that. Lord, may you fill us with a, a yearning for growth and joy all the days of our lives. Two tracks for 22. The other thing that Mother uh, Teresa wrote there was that God loves a cheerful giver. She was quoting the scripture and the Lord does. May we be a people who are a people of blessing. And that is a perfect lead into me being able to remind all of you about our time of giving because we're going to close with a song. And I actually have one more like I do have, I, I have a thought, a little saying, so actually it's a principle. I have a principle that I think is a difference making principle that I want to add on to this, but we're going to do that after the song that we share. But before we even do that, I want to remind all of you, as so many of you do, to be continue to be faithful in your tithes and your offerings, to be a cheerful giver, to give with love, to continue to, to give as a faithful part of this community. Uh, remember, you can send it in. You can give it online through our website. Uh, you can give it through the app. That's what I do. I do it on my phone, actually. But like I always say, give them your heart first. Give your heart first because if your heart's burning with the love of Christ, all the other things will start to slot into their proper place. So with that in mind, Lord Jesus, bless us as we now sing about you and how you found us and what you work inside of us. Huh. From that first day, you touched our lives till now. May our heart leap with joy and abound in love. Here we go. before me I was swallowed by pride but out of the darkness you brought me to your light 
My love is yours, my heart is yours, my life is yours forever. Remember I said I have one principle, one truth to share, and here it is, here it is. Here's a key for cultivating a spirit of joy um, and to continue to be a growing person who's, who's got a, a flourishing life of faith and abounding in his love. Here it is. Talk about your blessings more than you talk about your burdens. Talk about your blessings more than you talk about your burdens. That's a choice. That is such good medicine for the soul. It's so easy to talk about our burdens. But remember, talk about your blessings more than you talk about your burdens. Lord Jesus, help us to do this. Help us to be a people who are fixated on our blessings, not on our burdens on what is going well, not on what is going wrong. And I just pray that you would fill us all with your love, with your goodness, with your kindness, with your grace, that we would bound more and more and flourish. 
Keep us in every way in our spirit, in our soul, in our mind, in our body. For you are good, and it is good for us to remind ourselves of how good you are. We pray for your goodness, flow like a river, a gift, abound in us this day and always in Jesus' name.